3: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
0: Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are you? It is time for another classic episode. We're actually doing a follow-up to last week's classic episode, This week's episode is Photo Editing and Manipulation Part 2, originally published on September 2nd, 2015. Dylan was a guest host on this show. He is now a managing executive producer with iHeart. So he's stuck with us and has uh, done incredible work. Uh, The guy's very busy. But way back then, we had him on as a guest to talk about photo manipulation. And uh, yeah, hope you enjoy this classic episode. Images on computers, that's nothing new. We've had those for quite some time. Uh, I would argue that perhaps the pivotal moment in the post-digital era would be 1987. That's when you have a PhD student at the University of Michigan named Thomas Knoll, who builds a program for the Mac Plus. He calls it Display.
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Display. Everyone's using that these days. Yeah. Well, they are. They just don't know it.
0: Yeah, they just, it's just not called that anymore. Yeah, so... In 1988, he and his brother John Knoll, John Knoll was an effects expert at a little company called Industrial Light and Magic.
4: Yes.
0: Yeah, so a little, uh, little known Hollywood effects
4: studio. Just one of the smaller ones. Yeah. So what they, have they ever done?
0: They, they put their heads together, and uh, together they come up with an idea. They decide to rename Display, they call it Photoshop And they license it to a manufacturer of slide scanners. And the manufacturer is called Barney Scan. So the very first version of Photoshop, which was not version 1.0, it preceded version 1.0. It was version 0.87. Wow. Uh, It was included with about 200 scanners. So about 200 editions of Photoshop 0.87 out there.
4: Wow, that's a, that's a collector's item. Yeah,
0: I guess. <laughs> and in 1989, they would sign a distribution deal with Adobe and thus the relationship with Adobe and Photoshop begins. Uh, 1989 was also when we get a famous incident of photo manipulation, a huge slap, I would say. This was a TV Guide cover. Uh, I don't know if you're particularly familiar with this p- instance. Is it Oprah? It is Oprah. Yes. So, this was pretty awful, I would
4: say. Egregious.
0: Yeah. So what what happened was TV Guide puts Oprah on the cover. That's not the egregious, nasty, horrible part.
4: No, that's that's perfectly fine. She the, was a, a ratings champion.
0: Absolutely deserved to be on the cover of TV yeah. Guide. What, what she did not deserve is is the way she was portrayed. So what happened was they had cut her head off of one picture and then superimposed it on top of the body of Anne Margaret.
4: And a 10-year-old photo of Anne Margaret at that. Yeah. It was yeah. from 1979. Yeah. 1979 publicity shot of Anne Margaret.
0: Different woman, different race. And they. It was immediately recognized by the fashion designer for Anne margaret the person who designed the dress Anne margaret was wearing in that publicity photo. And clearly was the same photo. Obviously the exact same pose and same body. It just had been manipulated so that it was supposed to look like Oprah's body. This was not one of TV Guide's best moments. No. And it certainly was one of those that... Really brought the i uh, the this photo manipulation uh concept back into the public eye. Keep in mind that a lot of the the manipulations we talked about in our first episode, for a really long time, were not necessarily public knowledge. People weren't aware that a lot of this was happening. You know, I think a lot of people still believed that when you see a photograph, what you're seeing is exactly the way it. It rolled out in real life.
4: And I think a lot of people now would still look at some of these photographs from like the 1860s and not know that there was the ability to do manipulations like were possible. Right. So if
0: you were looking at, say, some of the spirit photography that we talked about in our last episode, you might be led to believe that somehow the photographers of the 19th century had an ability to capture spirits in photographs. They weren't. They use double exposure. Double exposure is no longer a thing. So maybe that's part of the problem, because unless you're using film, double exposure, like you could you could digitally create an effect that's like double exposure.
4: You can overlay one layer in Photoshop on another and change the opacity. Yes. But uh, as far as putting two pictures on the same piece of film, it's not exactly the same.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's. I mean, you, you can, you can fake it so that you get the same effect, but it's not, it's definitely not the same process. Uh, 1990 was when Adobe Photoshop 1.0 would ship. Happy 25th anniversary, Photoshop. Hey, there you go. I didn't even make the, do the math. I was an English major. Don't blame me. Uh, so here's, here's something that's hard to believe. Adobe Photoshop 1.0 fit on a
4: single three and a
0: half inch floppy disk.
4: That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you think about the size of those those programs now. and Well, first of all, we don't use floppy disks anymore. <laughs> no,
4: I, I don't know if Photoshop still... I guess you can still physically, but most people download it from the cloud now.
0: Right, yeah, you get a digital download, and it's sizable. It, <laughs> it is. Would, it would take many three-and-a-half-inch disks to hold it now. And uh, that Photoshop 1.0 contained several of the tools that would later become the standard features of Photoshop.
4: That's pretty amazing to me.
0: Yeah, the clone tool was included in Photoshop 1.0.
4: Yeah, and you 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 already had the ability to um, select certain pe- certain parts of an image mm-hmm. and uh, hue and saturation levels or tones. Uh, the, the thinking. Since I never used 1.0, Yeah. thinking back and imagining that that was possible back then, already in some form, is is pretty amazing. Although the great thing about Photoshop was that, in comparison to its competitors, it was it was easier, more intuitive. Yeah, and that's the way it was marketed.
0: Right. So keep in mind that when we talked about in part one those 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 means of manipulating and editing photos. That was a, a specialized skill. Like if you were not a photographer, chances are you were unaware of how this, this trickery or manipulation took place. And it's almost like you, you can almost think of it like a guild system. It wasn't formal like that, but it was this thing that if you were not part of that club, you were largely ignorant of what was going on in order for that stuff to happen. Uh, this approach meant that it suddenly became much more accessible. It still had a barrier to entry. There was still a learning curve to be, to be conquered, but it was much lower than say having to go and enroll in classes
4: in photography. And all the chemistry involved. There was there was no longer chemistry involved, yeah. and there was no you could longer. You get
0: chemistry in a photo, yeah. But you didn't need to have <laughs> chemistry to develop a photo,
4: and you didn't have to go into the dark room and yeah. stand there with the tools if you wanted to lighten a part of an image or you, darken.
0: Yeah, I, I loved in your in the part one you talked about the experience of going into a pitch black room in order to manipulate a camera so that you don't expose the film to light, thus ruining the film because obviously the film is. As photoreactive, you can't, If since it's photoreactive, any light is going to make it react. And the idea of fumbling around in the dark that first time where you're trying to build that familiarity, it made me think of every scene in every military movie where, uh, Someone has to take apart a gun and then reassemble it. <laughs> it was like it was, sounds like that. Like that. Like after after week five or six, you just confidently just you, you're not even thinking about it. It's no longer conscious thought. It's just muscle
4: memory. <laughs> yeah, and that that's that's great. But it's also great now. Uh, as much as I love film photography, to do that on a daily basis is not as easy as taking a digital SLR and putting an SD card right. into the side <laughs> slot. Yeah, turns out that you know. You can even do that with the lights on. <laughs> you can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great.
0: So the the cool thing also about Adobe Photoshop 1.0 is it was being used for some really high-profile uh, feature films at the time. There were actual uh, effects studios that were using elements of Photoshop to work on composite digital shots of their films, including movies like The Abyss. So that's James Cameron's big movie that... Uh depending on which version you're seeing, you're dedicating about four hours of your life to. Uh there's the Rocketeer, which highly underrated, fantastic sci-fi fantasy film. Yeah,
4: yeah, I remember seeing that when I was real young.
0: It's a oh, it's great. It's a great movie. Go check it out if you haven't seen the Rocketeer. You got to see the Rocketeer. So it's, it's actually a really good superhero film. It just didn't get uh adopted by a larger audience the way some of the ones today did. Uh Terminator 2 was one of the movies that Photoshop 1.0 influenced.
4: Wow, James Cameron early adopter.
0: Yep. So if you uh if you you know if you really want to celebrate, give Photoshop 1.0 a very slowly descending thumbs up. (laughs) Uh, And then one of one a movie that I love despite its flaws, Hook. A Steven Spielberg movie. Really? Yeah, the, the Steven Spielberg retelling of Peter Pan where Robin Williams is a grown up Peter Pan and Dustin Hoffman is Captain Hook. Uh, <laughs> Dustin Hoffman, by the way, phenomenal Captain Hook. One of my, I loved his performance. I, I wish there were more Hook in the movie Hook because every time he was on screen, I was happy.
4: <laughs> He's just pretty phenomenal.
0: Yeah. It was a totally different style of hook than I was anticipating, and I loved every second of it. Anyway, all of those had uh, influence from Photoshop. They were digital composites. And we talked previously in the earlier episode about composite photographs. In that sense, they were composites that were completely made through analog methods, where you're literally cutting and pasting, either in a negative form or a print form, and taking a new photograph, whatever it may be. But you were putting together two or more images, to create a new image that is a composite of those previous ones. Now we're talking about doing the same thing, but using digital tools, which uh, gives you a lot more freedom.
4: It does. And and soon thereafter, I think, 3.0 was the introduction of layers, which changes everything. Yeah, yeah. You, you have non-destructive editing. Please, Can you explain what that is? Non-destructive editing is a godsend, because <laughs> <laughs> uh it, I guess when most people maybe open up Photoshop for the first time and they're messing around, you see things like the eraser, things that kind of make sense. Like maybe if you ever opened up a picture in MS Paint, and you thought like I can paint on this. Yeah. But once you do that, you're you're uh, you're limited by how many times you can hit the undo button. Yeah. But with layers, um, you can continually add on uh, different elements on on different. On, well, the best way to say is layers. So it's like putting pieces of paper over one another so, kind or, of... Or
0: clear acetate, as yeah. it may be.
4: And, uh, and so if you uh, subtract from one part of that layer, if you still have a copy of that underneath, nothing's going to happen to the, the original part of that image. You're, and you're still going to have on the bottom layer, if you don't edit that layer... The whole image, you're still going to have the whole image. So you have your original as the base, the foundation. Yes. And, and you- then
0: you lay other layers on top of it. That's where you can do your manipulation. And then you decide, maybe you decide, you know, I took that balloon out, but I actually kind of want that balloon back in now that I've done these other edits. I'm going to go back, re-add that one layer or undo what I did on that one layer. And now it's as if by magic, we get the balloon back
4: exactly, and 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 I'm sure a lot of people have noticed that you have at the top of your uh, your application you have different tabs. One of them is like adjustments, and you can go in, you can change the the contrast, the saturation, things like that. Well, with adjustment layers, you can add that on, and then you can you can turn off that layer, and the effect goes away. If you do that through the file menu at the top, it changes the picture permanently mm. if you can't if you don't hit the, the back button if you don't hit undo
0: yeah yeah as long as you or or if you avoid saving it so that yeah. you, <laughs> you still have your original uh but then what's the point of doing all the work yeah it's a great point i mean i've often wondered because uh, as someone who has only casually used these editing tools myself uh it took a while for me to figure out what layers were and um like I remember specifically using them to do things like if I wanted to take an image uh, but remove – like remove an image on a white background. Like let's say it's a stock photo of something and I want to put that – image the image of that thing on some other background and not have a big white box behind it. That's when it was – it was useful if that was a layer itself. Like I could take the layer that had the object and leave the white background behind <laughs> Yeah, so I could actually put that against a different background and have it look like it meant to it was meant to be there
4: another huge breakthrough is masks and if you use layers and masks together you have so much control and and it's you can go backwards or forwards as much as you want in your document with with masks you can uh, select a certain part of the image and then you can mask out the rest of it mm-hmm. uh, so you just have that that part selected and then you can use the paintbrush to paint in or paint out to kind of clean up the lines that you just selected if you want more of that layer that you just blanked part of it out you can you can erase part of it and you can bring it back in Uh, so layers and mass i think were big game changers for photo editors and photo manipulators who either used as an art or they used it to deceive. Whatever you wanted to use it for, Photoshop <laughs> was making it possible
3: in right. the 90s.
0: As we, as we have said many times on tech stuff, it's not the tool that's necessarily the issue or the problem. It's the way the tool's implemented. And the purpose of these tools was to give greater freedom to people who work in images and what you do with that freedom is up to the choice of the individual. And in some cases, it was to make art. In some cases, it was just to clean up an image so that the point that the the photographer wanted you to focus on was, in fact, the most notable element of that image. Like, if, if I'm taking a photo of something and I think, like, oh, it's this great background and I've got a wonderful subject in the foreground and I'm really concentrating on my subject and I don't notice that there's some jackass... 20 feet back who's you know (laughs) waving maniacally into the camera and then I think I really don't want that guy there I
4: mean you know just pop open a new layer in photoshop and clone stamp him out
0: i like the way you think
4: well when you see that guy on the street like i clone stamped you yeah exactly and he doesn't know what you mean maybe right there's
0: a good chance he has no idea how
4: what what a sick burn he is. <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: which is essentially saying like i did what i did to you what stalin did to the commissar oh. <laughs> only in the photo sense though <laughs> you're free to go We'll be back to talk about more photo editing and manipulation in just a moment after this break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required.
3: I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means.
2: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.
0: So some other uh, instances of photo manipulation, some of which were not necessarily meant to be uh, taken as a representation of the actual person, some of which it's arguable. Uh, in 1992, Texas Monthly Magazine had a great image of Governor Ann Richards on a Harley Davidson.
4: That's a great one. And
0: she liked it. Yeah. Yeah. She looked great. But if you actually looked in the credit page of the magazine, they, they indicate that the, the motorcyclist was a stock image. And so it, if you were to take the trouble of looking at the, uh, at that credit page, you would see that they don't hide the fact that this was a manipulation,
4: and that's almost become common practices for manipulated covers. Maybe if it's someone's head on someone else's body, yeah, uh, which is a, a big thing uh, that it'll have a small disclaimer either on the credit page or very small on the bottom of the cover yeah. <laughs> that says that it is uh, illustration. Image. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, in '93, that's when Photoshop would come to Windows. So finally, Windows users were able to stand side by side with Mac users.
4: With 16-bit support, that was, uh, that was the big thing that year, I think, for Windows. Uh,
0: 1994, here's a famous instance of, uh, photo manipulation that was a big controversy. This was during, uh, just in the, in the wake of OJ Simpson being arrested on the charge of murder. And two magazines came out at the same time, uh, both using O.J. Simpson's mugshot. Yes. Newsweek uh, had the unaltered uh, mugshot as the cover. Time Magazine had an altered version of that mugshot.
4: Yes, they uh, they manipulated it to uh, make him appear darker and more menacing. <sighs> Which is, I would argue, bad photojournalism. Yeah, and uh, racist. Yes. Yes.
0: It's... Yes, both of those things. It is, I would argue, indefensible.
4: Yeah, that was one of the things that they, they show you in most photography, history of photography classes or yeah. ethical classes. Point, pointing yeah.
0: at that and saying, do not be this person. Don't do that.
4: Yeah. Just, no, it's a bad idea.
0: It, it says a lot. It says a lot of really ugly things about not just the mentality of, uh, The editors of the magazine at the time, but also their opinion of the American public and perhaps even by extension, the the overall dominant opinion of the American public, like all of that, none of that comes out well in that in that instance to say that this would be seen as a reasonable use of photo editing and that it would be accepted and that uh, you know, that's all of that is just ugly, and it's unfortunate.
4: Yeah, and uh, it's 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 good that Newsweek ran the same picture. Yeah, which is something that I think is is uniquely pre-internet kind of uh, saturation. Sure, is that that would happen every once in a while that Newsweek or Time would run the same image on their home on their front <laughs> almost at homepage. Yeah, well, <laughs> the same image we, on we their cover. We come from that world. I yeah. Am.
0: I will often end up referring to old media with new media terms. And then I realize, like, I've been in this business a while now. <laughs> hey, this is, this is reality now. That's so weird. I remember before there was a World Wide web. Um, showing my age. All right. And uh, I've got one more specific one I want to talk about. And I'm sure you have some more examples too. But the one that I was thinking of immediately that it, it kind of ties in in a way and that has to do with race. Um So the time image was a racist image that was, like again, just terrible photojournalism. The one I was going to mention was an attempt by the University of Wisconsin to demonstrate that they had a diverse student uh, uh, population by showing a, a group of football fans at a game that included a black student in the middle of or to the side of several white students all cheering on a football game. Only problem was, it was a composite photo. The black student's photo had been taken a year apart from the football fan's photo, and then the black student had been inserted into the picture in order to perpetuate this idea that the University of Wisconsin had a diverse student body.
4: Yes, and it is bad. It, I mean, like, the Photoshop itself is, is no, bad. It
0: does not look like that person it, is no. in the same
4: place. Uh, there was a publication in Toronto. I think it was uh, for... Uh, uh, it was like, come to Toronto. And they were trying to show on the, uh, on the cover a diverse family. And mm-hmm. so they did the same thing that they did with the Wisconsin cover. And it, it hits me on two levels, both of these covers. That it's, 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 it's not good practice. Right. And it, it, it wouldn't have been with all the effort and time that you went through to get those photographs. You could have gotten an actual photograph, number one. Yeah. Uh, it, that would have probably been, Less time-consuming just to get a group of people together and right. say, hey, let's let's take your picture. Like we're
0: going to pose you here yeah. as if there's a game, and we're yeah. going to take a picture.
4: So it's not very ethical. It's not very well done, and, and like, in good taste. And then also, like, the, the editing is really bad. Yeah. You look at it, and you know. Yeah. I mean, we, I, even with an untrained eye. It,
0: it definitely does not look like these photos were taken on the same day, because they weren't. They were taken a year apart. And, uh, you know, the, the University of Wisconsin, what they said was, they said... We do have black students in our student body. We didn't have any photos that represented the diversity, so we made one.
4: Yeah, and, and not to get on a soapbox, but if you want diversity, do it. Yeah,
0: like, like, don't create the illusion of it by manipulation of photographs.
4: Put, put the effort into, uh, and get the photograph, the real photograph, get the real diversity on right. your campus, things like that.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's, uh, cause, cause, All it takes, even if you do it really, really well with the photo manipulation, all it takes is someone who has any knowledge of what's going on to say, yeah, it didn't really happen. And then everything unravels. And, And then you have a PR problem that's way bigger than the perceived lack of diversity. Um, so definitely, I agree, address the underlying problem of diversity before you start worrying about, uh, you know, the, the brochures you're handing out. That's, that's definitely, I, I'm on the same page. Yeah. And, and I, and I've often thought of, like, um, there are a lot of examples of, of people who have pointed out photos in this, this post-digital era. People who have experience with Photoshop, who work with digital photography fairly extensively who very quickly can point out when um when when less than professional manipulation has taken place like in some cases in some cases it's it's fairly obvious even to the casual viewer and yeah. in some cases it takes a little bit more of a trained eye to start noticing the indicators uh, if it's done really really well then theoretically you wouldn't be able to tell like you 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 would you could say well it's possible that was manipulated it's also possible that that wasn't manipulated
4: some of the well done ones go viral so quickly that it can make the rounds everywhere before someone comes out even if it's like three hours later it's already hit all the news you know yeah and they're like oh hey i just opened this up in photoshop zoomed in 100 percent. i can tell you where they where this picture ends and this picture begins in this edit Uh, this is definitely manipulated.
0: Yeah, uh, I suppose if you were to take the greatest pains possible and go pixel by pixel and you had lots of spare time on your hands, you could perhaps create an image that was essentially unbeatable, undetectable, but it's a huge amount of effort in order to do that. You, you can probably get past a large percentage of the viewing public, Mm -hmm. uh, with a, with a decent manipulation job but they're always going to be those experts out there who are like they know what to look for
4: and there's always going to be now in 2015 there's going to there are going to be services that you can use that you can upload your image it's going to tell you whether or not they think it's been digitally altered because mm. they they have an algorithm for finding those things out
0: which yeah
4: once you have the algorithms go in there
0: where they're looking at it uh, pixel by pixel like they can look at Two adjacent pixels. And if there's enough of a difference between the two that can't be explained by other elements within the image, then that's a possible red flag.
4: Yeah. Or people who forget to alter their metadata or erase yeah. their metadata. Yep. There are a lot of ways to find fakes and more often than not, they are found out pretty quickly.
0: There's also been some pretty embarrassing situations where people have uploaded a photo that they had cropped and, uh, and yet, the original picture is still accessible through that image (laughs) where someone's like, Oh, I just expanded it. And I saw that your room is a total mess. That would be the less scandalous versions of some of those photos that have made their, the rounds.
4: Yeah. And then some of them, like you said, are just bad. I mean, not to skip around too much, but one of my favorite examples recently has been, there have been like a number of photographs of, Chinese officials inspecting things. Yeah, that are pretty poorly done. Oh, I haven't uh, seen these. Uh, there, there are. There's this one in particular. It's um, a doctored photo of three local officials uh, inspecting a highway project, mm-hmm. uh, where they're not on the road. <laughs> they're just placed kind of above the road. So, so it's like, so not only are
0: they inspecting, they're hovering.
4: Yeah, like no shadow work. And also, it's kind of like a stock photo where they're like, oh, like they have these looks on their face yeah. that are like very surprised of how well the progress is going on, on the road. They're like, oh gosh, wow, look at this road. And it's pretty embarrassing. And when, when that something like that gets outed.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely, and I, I meant to bring this up when we were talking about, Uh, stock photography earlier, there's also been several instances of various um, companies or news agencies or uh, political campaigns that have used stock images of people and use them in ways to claim that this is representing a specific individual that isn't the person who posed for the stock photography in order to portray a particular viewpoint or to put forth a story or something along those lines. We've seen that happen a few times where uh, people have said this image that you're using to to create this narrative that furthers your cause in one way or another, whether it doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you're on. This has been done across the board by various people at various times, sometimes not necessarily maliciously, but certainly to mislead, they would create, they'd find a stock image that seems to represent, like diversity would be a good one. They, I've seen this happen a couple times. And people point out, actually, that's a stock image. That's not a picture of their employees or their campaign. That's, yeah. not, that's not a representative of that group. That's actually just a stock photo, and here's where you can find
4: it. Yeah, or like you took this crowd and you put it with this picture of you, and that crowd didn't actually come to your event. Yeah. Um, so do you really have the support that you say that you have? Or uh, even not a stock photo, but one I think. That you could get from an image database and put two photos together—that was pretty famous. Is back in two thousand four, uh, when there was the image of John Kerry sitting next to Jane Fonda mm, at an right. anti-Vietnam a uh, uh, protest. Yes, yeah, and that—that that, I think back in two thousand four, it took a little bit longer for that news to be made public that it was fake. Yeah, uh, where now I think it would it would circle back around pretty quickly. Yeah. But that was, that was an image that I think a lot of people looked at and thought, wow, that looks, that looks legitimate. That really looks like they're sitting there together, that they had a closer relationship than they actually had. A lot of people do that for either positive or negative Mm -hmm. to take pictures of themselves and put them with famous people for either a positive or a negative connotation.
0: Yeah. This kind of also leads into uh, a more lighthearted version of, of people using Photoshop for this kind of purpose. It's my favorite I mean, it's my favorite thing about Photoshop ever. It's my favorite way that people use Photoshop. I mean, I, I appreciate again, the technical skill and artistry that is required for you to make good use of Photoshop and not make it look crappy. Cause I do not have that skill. If I use Photoshop, it's going to look like I used finger paints to cover up a smudge or something, <laughs> but I love. With a, with a passion that is difficult to describe, the funny uses of Photoshop people will do when someone presents a photo and they have a request, but this happens a lot on Reddit where they say, here's a picture I took. I, this is what I wanted. Can someone Photoshop this for me so that this outcome, uh, happens? And the trend is for people to do ridiculous Photoshops that, that, uh, end up fulfilling the letter of what the person asked for, but not the spirit of what they asked for.
4: I love that. It's just like, can you put, I don't have a picture of me and my cat together. Yeah. Can you put me and my cat in the same picture? And then like someone will make the cat huge and right. the guy tiny. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or they'll,
0: they'll like just, uh, you know, end up having like half a cat on the picture and the other half of the cat is on the other side of the picture. I'm just, just sometimes... Sometimes the results are terrible, like like terrible as in ooh, and sometimes they're just funny. My favorite one that I've seen recently, uh, and I mentioned this to you a couple days ago when we were talking about this podcast, was one where it was a guy standing next to the Eiffel Tower, and he had his hand up in the air. And what he had wanted was the photographer to take a picture so that the perspective made it look as if he had his hand on the top of the Eiffel Tower.
4: Classic Eiffel photo, classic leaning tower photo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I get
0: it. The, the one that, you know, you everyone's got to have one, right? Yeah. Uh, I would be the guy who would want the photo to be taken incorrectly on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I would, I would, like, like, I'd want to be the guy next to the Leaning Tower piece. So I have my hands up, and there's cl- clearly, like, three feet of space between or my like hands and the tower. You're pushing
4: in the opposite direction. Yeah, exactly.
0: Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not even on the right side of the tower or something like that. Because uh, I think that's funny. Yeah. Because so many people have done the other one. So this one I saw where the guy said, could you Photoshop this so that my hand is on the top of the Eiffel Tower? Obviously, people had a lot of fun with it. I think my favorite was one where it made, a guy had had done. Uh, I, I shouldn't say a guy; it might have been a lady. I have no idea. The the manipulator um, made the, made the the guy's arm look like Mister Fantastic or Plastic <laughs> Man. Uh, and it was not done subtly or like like it was very cartoonishly, where it, it looped around all over the photo until the palm was on the top of the Eiffel Tower. Now, clearly what the guy had meant was, can you reduce the size of the Eiffel Tower in the perspective of this photo and then edge it over to the side so that my hand is on top of it? But that's obviously not what the Redditors provided. And that's just one example. And just one example of one request. There are entire uh, threads of these sort of things and they always make me laugh because people are so creative. Like, it, yeah. it, it takes a certain level of skill to do Photoshop badly on purpose.
4: I think that's art within itself.
0: It is. Yeah. I would argue yes, in, indeed. And it kind of also goes back to something that came out of a very tragic event, but led to ridiculous examples of Photoshop. The famous example of the guy on the top of the uh, the World Trade Center, Um, on September 11th, 2001.
4: One of the most famous manipulations they can think of of the modern age.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, you've probably seen it. It's the guy who's waving and then in the background you see the, the plane headed for the, the World Trade Center. And, um, this was not, this was a manipulated photo. The plane was not there in the original photo. And as a meme, people started to use Photoshop to cut the guy out of the picture and put him in other various like disaster scenarios, uh, like the Hindenburg or uh, JFK, you know, JFK yeah. or. A volcano exploding, or sometimes it'd be movies. Like there'd just be a still from a movie, and this guy would just be popped up in the back. And
4: I, I love that. It's like, what are some other things that have made that big events throughout history that we can just put this person in? Yeah, yeah. and
0: and the, it, part of you feels badly for the guy because you yeah. know, it's not like like he was just posing for a picture on top of the World Trade Center, and then somebody manipulated, uh, presumably, I don't think it was him, manipulated the picture so that there was this plane in the background. Um, and then suddenly he becomes the center of a meme and he's not necessarily the person who did the manipulation in the first place. Uh, but at any rate, maybe he has a good sense of humor about it. I don't know. Uh, it's very, very weird thing to have happen to you. I don't know how I'd feel if my image started. This is not an invitation listeners. (laughs) I don't know how I would feel if my image started uh, popping up everywhere.
4: Go for it. Go for it.
0: Dylan and I have a bit more to say about photo editing and manipulation after this quick break.
2: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, take good care, and we'll see you there.
0: Now, Dylan, do you are you aware of our super fan Aaron Cooper? I am not. So, Aaron Cooper has done tons of uh, photo editing of various. Stuff you should know, tech stuff for thinking folks.
4: Are some of the posters in all Studio the, A?
0: All the posters in Studio A. All of those are his work. So, like, oh my gosh, Holy Money Python, the Holy Grail, featuring the the people from How Stuff Works. That's you know, this is Aaron Cooper's the work. Step
4: Brothers one, I commend you on that is very good. He's done he's done a
0: couple of Star Wars ones for me because he did one with uh, where I was Luke and Chris Paulette was Leia. And then when Lauren came in uh, as my co-host, he replaced Chris with Lauren. But then he put Chris in the background as a ghost Obi-Wan version. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought I was brilliant. And then when I when when Lauren left the show, he wrote me and said, I'm not doing another one. Uh, <laughs> and I said, I, I don't blame you, man. You've done you've done more than your share uh but, but he is an example of the people who like to use photoshop in order to make a joke and make a statement and show his appreciation for something that he really enjoys and so big props
4: to superfire yeah, and good yeah i man. think that his work is great and i'm glad to put a name with Someone who's made me laugh quite a few times in this studio.
0: Yeah, it's it's great stuff. And uh, I'll definitely show you when this show is over. I'll show you the pictures he's done for tech
4: stuff. Are there any other famous examples of photo manipula- manipulation you'd like to talk about? Well, speaking of Star Wars, yeah. uh, in 2008, uh, there was uh, Iranian missile test. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and um, it was an image released of the... Missile tests that a bunch of news outlets picked up, and it didn't take long for someone to realize that uh, two of the um, missiles in the tests that were being launched had been replicated, so it's the same missile twice, Mm -hmm. and uh, the Internet had a field day with it, and it eventually ended up that someone put a bunch of missiles going off in, in opposite directions. They were, they were going in both directions, kind of shooting into each other. Mm-hmm. There's smoke everywhere. And then in the very bottom of the frame, there's a Jar Jar Binks, <laughs> just his head. And, uh, you know, fast forward four years, um, another uh, Iranian news outlet picks up that picture, the edited picture, for their website on an article about uh, I- Iranian missile tests, so someone just searched for a picture of the tests and found the wrong one.
0: Yeah, and like, "Good enough." <laughs> 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 yeah, that's um, that's unfortunate. And we we you know obviously we have seen uh, images that that people have presented as as being genuine without actually knowing that there had been manipulation. It doesn't always mean if someone spreads these kind of photos around. It doesn't always mean that they are aware of the, of the manipulation. They may be victims of that manipulation and then they further perpetuate it by sharing
4: it. It's very easy to lose original credit on the internet because you know, things are passed around.
0: Even, even things that you can verify fairly easily can still spread. A famous example, which will finally, I think, be put to bed this year. We're almost there. October is so close. The image of the digital readout in Back to the Future 2.
4: I've seen that manipulated to be at least five different dates.
0: Yeah. At least. And sometimes more than once a year. Like there I would say at least since 2010 I've seen quite a few. And it is it's in October this year, folks. So once we get past October.
4: I think that'll be the end of it. Once we get past October and everyone has self-lacing shoes.
0: Yeah, and hoverboards. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, just remember, they don't work on
4: water! <laughs> unless you got power! Unless you got that Lexus hoverboard.
0: Yeah, that's right. The oh. Lexus one, it's different. Yeah, that, that includes, uh, super cooled magnets. So you want to be real careful with that one.
4: Um, but, I think one of the issues that's pretty prevalent these days with photo manipulation is, um, magazine covers and body yes, image. Yes, And, um, and it, it, there've been a couple of breakthroughs in the past few years on kind of reining that in because I, I'm sure that everyone's seen this and, and it's easy to tell that these photos have been manipulated just because whose skin is that perfect and things like that. Whose right. waist is that small?
0: Yeah. Especially if you, if you see any like casual photo of someone, cause especially now that, um, we, we have a flood of photos hitting our social networks that are taken from the subjects themselves. Yes. And you start to see what they really look like. These, and, and I'm not saying that they, they are unattractive at all. I'm talking like, you know, everyone from supermodels to actors to authors to whatever, you see what they really look like and then you compare that to the magazine version of them, the magazine cover version and sometimes they look like two totally different people.
4: Yeah. And also it, it's a lot of the originals get leaked and people make, you know, comparisons where sure. they overlay the original with the edit and you can see all of the work that they've done.
0: Right. The the uh, perceived flaws that have yeah. been corrected.
4: And, and in 2009, there was a really extreme case uh, from Ralph Lauren. Uh, they, uh, Edited one of their models to have just possibly inhuman proportions, mm-hmm. just a tiny, tiny waist, just very small arms, and and there was a big backlash, and that that kind of that wasn't exactly the change of tide. But in the years following, um, there have been such instances as um, in 2012, Israel became the first country to require advertisements to say when they were digitally manipulating photos to make people appear thinner. Mm-hmm. Um, it also set like a minimum boss mat, a body mass index that the models could have to ensure that no underweight models were used in advertisements.
0: Wow. So there was actually like a, not a weight limit, but a body mass limit. On
4: yeah. It. And then um there was a teenager that started a campaign Uh, that wanted Seventeen Magazine to stop retouching their models in 2012. And uh, Seventeen Magazine made like an eight-point pact uh, that said that they would never change body or face shapes and that they will only use models who uh, give the perception of health, healthiness.
0: Right. So in other words, in order to not perpetuate an unrealistic ideal of physical beauty, uh or to create this kind of unhealthy uh uh unhealthy obsession with images that may in fact be unattainable because they've been manipulated to the point where this is not representative of what a human being looks like.
4: Yeah, and it can just make people feel really bad about themselves.
0: Yeah, I remember uh, of course there've been several Dove advertisement campaigns that have shown the process of taking a model and uh they they take the subject and show the whole process from going from the way she looks before any uh, anything's been done to the wardrobe and makeup and hair process, which already changes her appearance significantly from what she looked like before, then the the photography process, then the editing process in the photography where they make even further changes to her appearance and then do the side-by-side and say that, you know, this is an example of uh, of how... The, the industry, the beauty industry has created this unrealistic and, and possi- you know, damaging image of what beauty is.
4: So in some instances hopefully if it, it doesn't get, if it doesn't cease it completely there are at least disclaimers, there's at least some there's someone, there's a watchdog of some sort yeah. kind of looking out for things like this. Um, but like I think I said earlier there's also this 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 feeling i think now from people who are inundated with so many photographs um and that there's just this different access to photography and that you're you you see so many ads every day mm. you you go to so many websites that um any photograph that you see is is going to still have edits and that people are probably going to feel awkward if they don't see the edits that they might they might expect from an image just right out the camera the changing the contrast, fixing the exposure, sure, correcting the color. Well, heck,
0: we've gotten to a point now where a lot of the cameras inside phones, the apps have software that auto automatically do certain enhancements yeah. uh, to contrast or lighting or to make sure that things like red eye aren't a problem, that kind of stuff. Or
4: in the past few years, you know, putting the hashtag no filter on your Instagram photo when you haven't put a filter that changes the quality of the photo sure. on it. That, that kind of, that, that, that's yeah. kind of interesting.
0: Yeah. I, I never, I never really use filters. Occasionally, like Google, Google photo will once in a blue moon, and I don't know what the algorithm chooses as the criteria for this, but will single out an image and do an auto enhancement and show you what it looks like. And it doesn't automatically share it. You actually have the option to say, you know, I, that's fine. Awesome. Forget it. But I took a picture of my dog. Uh, when I was walking my dog in um, the woods of North Georgia. We were right next to a river. And I just wanted to take a picture of my dog because uh, he he had never seen a river before so this was a neat experience for him. Yeah, He's
4: incredibly cute.
0: He was flipping out. Yeah, it was great. So I took a picture of him and I have an Android phone. So my photos automatically back up to my Google photo account. And I get a message a little bit later and it says I've got an enhanced image of my dog. So I pull it up and it has added filters so it looks almost like an, uh, a painting, almost mm-hmm. like a painting style. Um, and to the point where I said, if this looked a little bit more like a painting, it would be exactly the sort of thing you would see in like a doctor's waiting room.
4: <laughs> like, like a Norman Rockwell type. Yeah, yeah. Very
0: Rockwellian kind of thing. And so, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. We've reached this point now where the photo manipulation, uh, is happening on its own, like, due to algorithms. It's not even necessarily a human that's responsible for it.
4: Yeah, and I know you know something about Google Deep Dream, and I'm not too familiar with what exactly what it does, but is is there a quick way that you could break it down?
0: Sure. Google Deep Dream, the the purpose of it, uh, Deep Dream itself is kind of an extension of what the purpose was. The purpose was to look at an image, an algorithm examines an image, and looks for, uh, examples of areas of that image that it can enhance so that you can, uh, see stuff in greater detail. So, uh, maybe there's, um, like a, a blurry photo of someone's face. It might be able to bring those features into more, uh, a more of a sharp appearance so that you can actually see who that person is. And it was, you know, it could be used for anything. It could be used for facial recognition. It could be used just to make an image look nicer. It could be used to, um, to, to look at old photos and see if you can figure out, like, imagine opening up a cold case. You've got this photograph of a face and you've never been able to identify that person. You use this technology to try and see if it can at least make a guess as to what that person actually looks like. That's the sort of thing it does. So in a way... It's like the old science fiction zoom and enhance, you know, that old, yeah. that old TV trope. It's like that. But again, it's making guesses. It's trying to fill in gaps where data does not exist. Mm-hmm. So it's looking for patterns. It's looking to try and insert information into those patterns that would make the most sense, which means that sometimes it makes mistakes. Well, the, the deep dream part is a, is cranking that up to like 11. It's like oversaturating a photo. It's like making all the colors bleed. Except in this case, what it's doing is it's saying, hey, you know that pattern recognition you have where you're looking for stuff that looks like a face or whatever, or looks like a a plant or a dog or a lizard, whatever it may be. I'm going to turn that way up so that now you're going to be looking for that even harder. So anything that remotely looks like one of those things, you're going to interpret that as a representation, and then you're going to fill in the gaps.
4: You'd be like, hey, what if that recognition software got real into psychedelic rock?
0: Yeah. So if you look at these Google Deep Dream, um, uh, images, some of them, like, there's, there's one in particular that's really good at finding dog faces and everything. So you might take a picture of a table that has a really interesting wood grain to it, and you throw it through this Google, Google Deep Dream, and it just finds dog faces everywhere, and it starts filling in the information so that now it's just a, an HP Lovecraftian horror show of a table covered in dog faces. (laughs) Um, Or, like, there are a lot of pictures of, like, again, taking pictures of dogs... Where you look at the picture of the dog, and it's looking at patterns in the fur, and suddenly you see, like, all these other faces of dogs emerging from these patterns of fur. Wow. And it definitely starts to feel like you are in a trippy, nightmare scenario.
4: Yeah, like a nightmare, but you can close the browser window.
0: Yeah. So I'm sure that Salvador Dali would have said, this is amazing. (laughs) He would have. It should be included on all cameras, and you should never be able to turn
4: it off. Would have been a spokesman,
0: yeah because uh, it is that kind of trippy sort of experience. And it's all based, again, on, on pattern recognition. Only in this case, it's recognizing patterns that are not really representative of the thing it interprets them as. It's very much the same thing as looking up at the clouds and seeing a face. Mm-hmm. Now, it's, it's, we humans do this all the time. We see patterns where there re- really isn't a pattern. Like we yeah. we recognize what appears to be a pattern in something that's largely a chaotic system. Same sort of thing. And it's actually pretty fascinating. It's a kind of artificial intelligence in a way. And that wraps up this classic episode of Tech Stuff. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks again to Dylan for joining me, you know, seven years ago to talk about photo manipulation and editing. Uh, Obviously, the tools today are even more sophisticated, far more sophisticated than they were seven years ago. Uh, And it is phenomenal what can be done, frightening in many ways what can be done with photo and video editing and manipulation. So maybe at some point I will do a, a follow-up episode on this and kind of talk about sort of the, the huge leaps in capabilities that we've seen since 2015, because uh, it's pretty remarkable. But until then, if you would like to suggest a topic for me to cover on tech stuff, there are a couple of different ways you can reach out. One is you can download the iHeartRadio app, navigate over to tech stuff, use that little microphone icon That'll let you leave a message up to 30 seconds in length telling me what you would like me to cover. Or you can reach out to me on Twitter. The handle that we use for the show is TechStuffHSW. And I'll talk to you again really soon. TechStuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
1: podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
2: it's brand new season two Or a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown. Sleep tight stories.